So will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. It's okay. So we, we got a strong amen earlier. I'm going to let you off the hook this time. I, um, I noticed something early on after I declared my intention to go into the ministry that has only gotten worse with time. Most pastors feel similarly. Michael and I were discussing this together the other day. We both have come to this realization that one of the most annoying things about being a pastor is that people have a tendency to feel like they have to justify themselves to us, to, to ask for excuse or forgiveness for their behavior. Have you ever been somewhere and then you saw your preacher and you knew you did something that you shouldn't have been doing or you said something you shouldn't have said and you go, I'm sorry, preacher. Like you didn't go up to anybody else at that whole concert or restaurant or party to apologize for your behavior. But for some reason, when we clergy around, it's like we got to be on our best behavior. If you say a dirty word, you have to apologize to me. Or if I catch you at a uh, little league baseball game yelling at the umpire, and I'm not naming any names because I feel like the Lord can convict you of the things for which you need to be convicted. But if I, I see you out harassing somebody who's making $10 an hour to referee a little league baseball game, and you say, I'm sorry, preacher. That's not how I normally act. People will go out of their way in the middle of a conversation that would otherwise be completely normal to reassure me by saying, now I try to be a good person. And this has taught me something over the years that I think you need to know too. When somebody says that they try to be a good person, they aren't actually telling you whether they are good or not. There's a guy who used to wake up and he would scream at his kids to get ready for school and he was unkind and he would show up an hour to work late regularly for no real reason and blow the last dollar of the food budget on a truck decal. And then he says to me that he's trying really hard to be a good person and to prove it, he tells me about how he dropped off some old t-shirts at the Goodwill last week. So when someone tells you that they're trying to be a good person, they aren't telling you anything about whether they are actually a good person, but what they want you to think about them. And while I'm thinking about it, I should add that when somebody says they are trying to be a good person, they don't even tell you what good actually means. What does it mean to be a good person? When we say somebody is a good person, we usually mean she is good to her friends, and she's nice to the occasional stranger. We tend to give good a very simple and easily achievable meaning. But Jesus says that everybody is good to their friends. That is easy. But he goes on to say that we're also supposed to love our enemies. And that part is not quite so easy. When someone tells you, I'm trying to be a good person, it always begs the question, good according to whom? What do you think being a good person actually means? So look, if someone is trying to tell you that they're working on being good, they aren't telling you that they are good. They're not telling you what good means, but they are telling you something very important. What they're actually telling you 
is that they have no prayer life. When someone tells us that their prayer life is a mess or that they have not prayed before, we Christians sometimes, our tendency is immediately to judge this person or to set them straight. But I guarantee you, they won't hear it if you try to do so because they don't want to hear it. In fact, as you're listening to this, I bet if you were honest with yourself and with me, you'd probably say that you don't want to hear this right now either, what I am saying and what I'm about to say. We all want to believe that as long as we are trying to have a good prayer life, then that's good enough. We want to believe that anytime we pray, we are being good and that all prayers are good and anybody can pray and God listens to all prayers equally. And in a sense, these things are true. Any prayer is better than no prayer. Anyone can pray, and I absolutely believe that God is open to all prayers. But there are some prayers that make us more open to God and some prayers that make us less open to God. I think we resist being critical of prayer, thinking intentionally about the way we pray and how often we pray and for what we pray. We don't want to call into question our own prayer lives. And I think it's mostly because we don't understand what prayer is for. We think prayer is primarily about exercising our own power. If we want something, we ask for it, and it, would be, it should be given if we have enough faith. If that's the case, then any bad prayer becomes a terrifying burden. If our prayers are responsible for the world, then we have to ask things like, am I or is someone I love sick because I did not pray well enough? Did my grandfather die or did the accident happen because I did not pray for safety? But we are not given the gift of prayer so that we can save the world. We're given the gift of prayer so that we can know Jesus as he is saving the world. Good prayer it's prayer that draws us closer to Christ. It makes us partners in God's saving work. It does not make us the chief agent of God's saving work. And bad prayer is prayer that we offer without any openness to God, to the will of God, to the mystery of God, and to things beyond our own understanding. Someone once asked me, is it bad for me to pray that something awful happens to this girl that's always teasing me? To which I respond, I don't know. Have you already asked God that? And, and I said to her, perhaps instead of asking for something awful to happen to this girl, we should ask, what would it mean for God to save this girl? What would it mean for God to save you? What kind of salvific work is God already doing in your life? Good prayer is not about just proper technique. It's not about control. Good prayer is about orientation. It's about a prayer that has Christ as its central desire, as its central outlook. Christ as the chief thing for which we hope to gain and to know. It is a prayer that expects Christ to be in the midst of the situations for which we pray. If your first desire is Jesus, if more than you desire to be a good person or to get the things that you want, if you desire Jesus, 
then we can say we are on a path of a disciple. This week, we have read the second chapter of A Disciple's Path, this journey we are on as a church during this six weeks. If you have not read it, I encourage you to do so. If you're not in a group, please join us tonight at five o'clock in McDavid Library. It's not too late to jump in. When you read these things and whenever you consider what it means to be a disciple, we come to the second week together, and it's all about how to have a healthy life of prayer. We're learning about the Acts prayer, as Fran just referenced, about the five-finger prayer we just taught our children, about the soapy method, and about Lectio Divina. We should think about these things as the boots and the snowshoes and the walking stick. These are the tools that help us take the next step. I cannot prescribe any one single foolproof method of prayer for you. It might be different for you than it is for me which is why I'm grateful that there is a plethora of ways to pray. But I do think that there are three things we should all keep in mind when we consider prayer, three universal truths that all of us need to realize to be able to be good prayers on this journey of discipleship. The first thing is that good prayer requires dedicated time. When someone tells me, I just kind of pray whenever I feel like I need to. I tell them, oh, you'll get along with this person over here. They're trying really hard to be good. Yet, when we pray whenever we feel like it, it gives us an out to never dedicate one specific time to set aside for communing with the Lord. Yes, we can pray anytime. God will hear us. There's no bad time to pray. God is always there. However, in those times that will arise at some point of personal faith crisis or unforeseeable life circumstances, you'll find it much, hard, much easier to look towards God if you already have a relationship, if you already have daily practice. The kind of prayer that prepares us to be open to the hardest moments in life are the prayers that flow out of us daily. We ought to be a people dedicating a particular time each day for prayer. And I don't think the time itself matters too much when it is. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are evening people. Some of us are neither people. And so we set aside time maybe at lunch or after work. But figure out which time works for you. And then accept that time as a gift from God. Cherish it. Protect it. Use it. When you dedicate that time to God, it does two things. It helps you push away distractions, and it creates a sense of longing. If we have a set-aside time, then we can say to our friends, to our coworkers, I, I can't be with you tonight, or I'll be 20 minutes late, or I have to leave 20 minutes early, or my day will start 20 minutes earlier than it used to, or 30 minutes, or an hour, or however long. And you set aside that time, and it forces you to eliminate the distractions of life. And when you have a dedicated time, it draws a sense of longing. Think about when you are about to spend time with your friends or family or go on a trip. For me, the anticipation of that time is almost as wonderful as the time itself. When we create a sense of daily prayer, when we have our dedicated time, that time becomes 
a refuge, something to look forward to, something to wish we still were in when we have to leave it, something that has a sense of longing and belonging. And as I say this, I have no doubt that there is someone in here or multiples of us in here that are saying, I'm just too busy for that. I don't have time every day. You don't understand what all goes into my life, what all I have to accomplish. And, and to you, I would say to consider Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the, the ringleader of the Protestant Reformation. Martin, as I like to call him, um, famously said, I pray for two hours every morning, unless I have a lot to do that day. On busy days, I set aside four hours to pray for everything ahead of me. Now, who knows? Your typical day might be busier than Martin Luther's. You might have school or work and moving kids from here to there and coaching and board meetings and all of the volunteer things that you do. And you might say, well, his life was probably easier than mine. I mean, all that Martin had to do was raise six children, translate a Bible, and reform the entire continent of Europe, all while living under the constant threat of persecution and execution from some very powerful enemies during which time he was able to write that he often had a deep and abiding sense of God's presence in his life. What are we getting out of all of our busyness that can top having a deep and abiding sense of God's presence in our lives? Something tells me the problem isn't that we don't have enough time. It's probably more that we have things a little off-center in our lives. So the first truth about prayer is that it takes dedicated time. The second is that it takes a dedicated guide. What I've loved about these readings in the disciples' path as I've prepared for each week's study and as I've been journeying through it is that it offers people and offers us a guide, new guides to praying. And it reminds us that Scripture can be our guide. Scripture tells us some truths that we really don't want to hear some things that are challenging. And Scripture also tells us things that are unbelievably comforting, things that are life-changing. And the world has never been more full of other guides to go along with our Scripture readings. We can be using the disciples' path as we have been for the past few weeks and as we will continue to. But the rest of the time, I use a book called A Guide to Prayer, and I meant to bring it up here with me, but I left it in my office. And there are different versions of this book called A Guide to Prayer, for people in different places in their faith journey and in their careers. In the back of your hymnal, there are orders of morning and evening prayer. Whatever devotional or prayer book you use, I invite you to consider judging it by two criteria, scripture and surprise. Does your devotional book, does your prayer guide center on one or multiple scriptures? And does it treat those scriptures in a way that are healthy and doesn't take them out of context, and does not use them in ways that are difficult. You don't want a prayer guide that is solely centered on inspirational sports quotes or movie taglines. You want a devotional and a prayer guide that draws you into the life-giving word that is in the Bible. And the second thing is surprise. If you are never surprised by your prayer time, your prayer time might not be as healthy as it could be. 
I think of the Psalms and how we're invited to pray the Psalms. And there's times where I found the Psalms to be very challenging, not very surprising, just challenging because they always talked about how people need to be delivered from their enemies. They were written at a time when Israel was often fleeing from enemies or was in exile. And I read these and I consider, I said, I don't have very many enemies, so this doesn't make much sense to me. But thankfully, 10 years have passed since the beginning of my formal ministry, and I've done enough and said enough to where now there are all sorts of people for, for whom my career has been less than stellar or things I've said and done have been less than favorable, and now the Psalms are surprising in a whole new way. Isn't that amazing how the Bible works? I invite you, if you've ever re- read anything in the Bible and think I've got that part covered, revisit it because God can surprise us even in the things we think we know the best. And this brings us to our last feature of a good and healthy prayer life. We have a dedicated time, a dedicated guide, and it requires a dedicated response. If you never share the fruits of your prayer with anyone, if you never apply it in a relevant way, if you never take stock to ask, how has God changed me? Your prayer life will not last. For prayer to be healthy, it has to be transformational. And transformation has to be proclaimed. You can't help but share it if something in your life has been transformed. When Jesus surprises us in prayer, we must find a way to get that good news out of our heads and into the world. Who are you telling about the good work of God in your life? When your prayer life is full of communion and time with God, you can't help but tell somebody about it. But one thing that is important to keep in mind is that when you are applying these prayers in your life, when you are telling people, you're opening yourself to all sorts of vulnerability. That is part of the Christian journey. Talking about your soul, telling people what God is doing, admitting some of your struggles. And there will be times that you might fail. You might fail to keep up your prayer life journey. You might backslide. There might be times you doubt. I have had plenty of those times where my prayer life is not as it should be where I feel even the conviction, and it's sometimes hard to admit because you don't want to be seen as that person who is not a good prayer, who is not a good follower, a disciple. But if in the midst of failure, if in the midst of turmoil, you then still go back to praying, then you are on the path of a disciple. Of all these six steps, of all these things that we're talking about during this series, I'm convinced that prayer is the most essential. If I could serve the church that is the most generous or the most service-oriented or the most evangelical or the the, the largest attendance, I would ask to serve the church with the most prayer-filled people. Because I've known people who their entire lives, their entire lives they've been generous, they've worked hard, they've given They've served, but oftentimes people do these for the wrong reasons, out of guilt or fear or pride. But no one prays very long, if not for the right reasons. It is not a practice that you maintain so that people can know about how great you are. If we pray only to get what we want, we soon discover that money and influence are much easier things that will get us that. But if we pray in a way that seeks Christ, 
if our chief desire above being a good person is Jesus, then it is the thing that can not only sustain us, but transform us. The people that are most transformed for Christ are the ones that spend time with Christ. The people that are most transformed to make the kingdom of God known on earth are the people that pray. So may we be a people that say, God, there are times I need help and I have messed up and I have failed and yet I still return to you. Let us consider what it means to be people who seek Christ above just being a good person. Because when we have that desire as our chief desire, we can't help but be transformed to be the best people we could ever imagine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.